1: Hello and welcome to episode number 30 of The Music Plays the Band on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you're all safe and well. Well, I'm coming to you from home this time around. We've been off for the last few weeks and it has just been amazing. Uh, The last run we did was our longest in two years, and although it was short by the pre-pandemic standards, uh, being away from home for that long took some getting used to. It was a great tour, but being back with the family has been even better. Got to go on the road with him last weekend to coach my son's hockey tournament, and the little one starts hockey this weekend. You know, and these are the things that you just don't want to miss, and unfortunately, missing a lot of that stuff comes with the job. So I am very, very thankful for this time at home right now. I'm bringing along my drumming partner, Dino English, for the feature conversation today. We're going to talk some Grateful Dead, some Dark Star Orchestra, and we might just get a little bit geeky with the drum talk. Also on the program today is Andy Tishner from Sisters and Brothers out of Charlottesville, Virginia. So as always, I'm glad you're here, and before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There's a monthly Patreon subscription with giving levels starting as low as $5, which gives you exclusive bonus content, including outtakes expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road, and this time around that's going to include some footage of our rehearsal with Bob Weir, the afternoon of our Warfield show last month, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And wherever you are listening to the podcast, please take the time to rate, like, and review. All right, so here we go. Let's get started. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store. Brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The black music moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead and today we're going to take a little bit of a different route and instead of honoring an artist whose influence showed up by way of song, we're going to take a look at an artist who had a direct influence on musicianship, in this case on Bill Kreutzmann and subsequently on my guest Dino English. That player is the legendary jazz drummer Elvin Jones. Elvin Jones was born in Pontiac, Michigan in September of 1927. He came from a musical family, and his older brothers, pianist Hank Jones and the trumpeter Thad Jones, were both highly regarded jazz musicians as well. By age two, he said the drums held a special fascination for him. He would watch the circus parades go past his home with the marching bands, and he knew that's what he wanted to do. In high school, he joined the Black Marching Band, and after serving in the Army for three years, he bought his first drum set. Jones began his professional career in Detroit in 1949. In 1955, he made his way to New York City and throughout the 50s played with some of the biggest names in the game, including Charles Mingus, Miles Davis, and Sonny Rollins. In 1960, Jones began an association with John Coltrane and was an integral part of the classic John Coltrane Quartet, a band that redefined the swing, or rhythmic feel of jazz. Now, this group is still considered one of the all-time greats, And although his time with Coltrane ended in 1966, the music they made still influences musicians all around the world today. Jones remained an active part of the jazz scene after leaving Coltrane, playing with a host of artists before starting the Elvin Jones Jazz Machine that nurtured many up-and-coming players, including John Coltrane's son, Ravi. He performed and taught all the way up until his death in 2004. He was one of the most influential drummers in the history of jazz, and this history was not lost on Bill Kreutzmann. Phil Lesh turned Billy on to him during the Warlocks days, and the Dead and Elvin actually shared a bill at the Fillmore in 1965. His innovative, multi-layered approach to driving the band with his ride cymbal, while accompanying himself with a busy but very deliberate and musical snare drum hand, pretty much changed the game for every drummer out there. And you can really hear this in Billy's playing, especially from like 1971 to 73. The, the Europe 72 stuff is a perfect example of the Elvin influence on Billy. His playing in the jams is straight out of the Elvin school and his developing solo style is definitely impacted by him as well. You're going to hear a tune right here called Pursuance off the seminal Coltrane album *A Love Supreme, and it starts off with a little bit of drum solo, which you can totally hear the Billy thing in it, and then into the top of the tune. So here is the one and only Elvin Jones. To take a minute now and tell you about Beth Koritz. She is a psychotherapist, intuitive clarity coach, and founder of the Authenticity Academy. For the past 12 years, she's been supporting her clients to fully embody their authenticity and create the life they desire with her three-step clarity coaching program. This is your time to gain clarity, defining yourself by who you really are and not what you do. Increase your confidence by activating your inner powers and take soul-led action, creating a life in alignment with purpose, passion, and desires. Are you ready to learn more? Then book a free 30-minute clarity call with Beth. Visit www.yourclarity.coach or the sponsor page of the musicplaystheband.net. I know she's looking forward to supporting you on your journey. For today's segment of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town, we head to Charlottesville, Virginia and talk with Andy Tishner of Sisters and Brothers okay good morning how is everybody doing i am here today with andy tishner of sisters and brothers out of charlottesville virginia how are you my friend i'm doing great man how are you i'm great thank you for taking the time this morning and and, then coming on and talking about your what you got going on down there so sisters and brothers is the band uh can you give me a brief rundown on your history and how you got started sure um as some things are it's a little complicated
0: but uh you know the the short version is a couple of us got together to to play some grateful dead in a sense um and we we're like man there's how many grateful dead bands per city like 10 or 15 right uh and uh we just decided let's do something a little bit different but man we still really love jerry and and doing all this stuff so it seemed way too perfect to um start playing the catalog of the Jerry Garcia band um, and I actually got sort of the inspiration from uh, from a band that my brother was in in Chicago that played uh, uh Jerry Garcia band, and we just saw how successful that was. And what like, band is that? Tr- it's called Sisters and Brothers. <laughs> are they still together? They are not. It's <laughs> so your Sisters and Brothers East. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we kind of think of it as like carrying the torch of that band too. Right on, man. And um. When when did you all start? How how have you been together? Uh, 2018. Um. So the the story goes. The the story goes. Um. My other brother. So I have I have two brothers, and we're both. Uh, well, all three of us are musicians. Um. My one other brother was working at a restaurant, and um, this long haired young kid overheard that um he was trying to start maybe jamming with some people playing a uh, Grateful Dead, and this guy's like, Hey, man. I like Grateful Dead. My dad's a huge Deadhead. Maybe this might be a good fit and my brother's like, "Yeah, come on over. We'll just jam." And the three of us, my brother plays drums. Um the three of us got together in my living room and we just started playing something, you know, nothing particular. And we're like, "Wow, this is really good. Um uh, let's let's do something." And and that's sort of how that that kicked things off and then you know, slowly we acquired the the right pieces to form the band, and um, you know we just kept picking up. I think originally the instrumentation was uh, a guitar, drum kit, bass, and another guitar, um, and that worked for a little bit. We were like, I mean, if we're Jerry Garcia band, we gotta we gotta find our Melvin seals right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, and we picked up a keyboard player. Um sometimes it can be hard in the local scene to find players that are a uh good enough to hang and be available. The ones that are good enough are booked. <laughs> um so it was a challenge uh finding somebody in the in the start of you know what we were but we ended up finding the keyboard player and uh things felt right and I reached out to uh a monster vocalist and she was stoked to join. And it's just it's a beautiful
1: thing so far. So are you still playing with two guitar players as well?
0: No, we ended up uh dropping that because we were like well, you know, I, I won't get into it, but but it's more <laughs> of a traditional Jerry
1: Garcia player. band kind of lineup yeah, now.
0: Absolutely. Gotcha. How often are you all playing? Um well let's see, twenty nineteen, I think just before the pandemic started. Man, we were we were playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday and during the weekdays too, every weekend. Wow. And then uh the pandemic hit and we sort of went on a hiatus, I guess. Um like everybody played, else. Yeah. Um we played a a rather large show uh, at the Jefferson Theater in Charlottesville for Rock and Lockin on March 6th, 2020. So that was right about a week hit. and a half, yeah. yeah. Um and you know we just
1: sort of took some time after that cuz man we were just hitting it so hard for a while you take it outside of charlottesville i know in fact i know that uh you're going to be playing an after party in a few weeks in richmond after our show i just i noticed that online that's great man um so you take it outside of charlottesville oh yeah absolutely as, as much as we can
0: um before the pandemic hit we had uh, a nice little regional uh mini tour i guess you could call it scheduled and then you know, everything got canceled. Where do you uh, guys but, go? Um, we're going to West Virginia, um, DC, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and uh, we're setting up a, a run
1: in Chicago right now. Oh, right on, man. Let's talk about the music for a minute. Uh, do y'all take a specific approach to interpreting and performing it? Or do you have rules? I, I shouldn't say rules. Do you have guidelines or you just go out there and wing it. And let's see what happens.
0: Uh, um, from the start, you know, obviously, we try to do it close to what Jerry band did, but then you get into like, well, I'm going to play don't let go, but do you want to play it like late seventies Jerry band? Or do you want to play it like nineties Jerry band? Um, I think when Melvin joined the band, there was just a huge shift in uh, dynamic. And I think as a general guideline, we follow the sort of uh, late eighties, nineties sound. Uh, I mean, for me, that's just, that's what I really Love listening to for Jerry sure. Band and uh, I don't think I consciously decide to do things like that. That's just where my inst- inspiration comes from. Sure. Um, so we end up going that way. But what we like to do is, you know, you take the structure of the song and um, we just go for it in a rehearsal. And you know, we'll iron we'll iron it out that way. And we're not very strict of like, well, this is how Ron Tutts playing the drums. So you know, you you got to play it like this. If it sounds good, man, um, that's even better to throw a little original
1: spin on this stuff. And it's been really fun to do that. That that makes total sense. I watched watched a video of you guys that I found. It was Lonesome and a Long Way Home. And I don't remember where it was from or when it was from, but you definitely took the jam way out. But... Not necessarily, but to a different place necessarily, you know, not necessarily that's the, the same space that JGB or Jerry Bad might've taken it. And you took it, definitely took it to your own place. It was really cool, actually.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what's the fun in replicating all this stuff um, that we've all heard, but I mean, even to a degree, I know that dark star orchestra, you know, replays old shows, but you guys, you guys don't play it the same as the the dead. I mean, it's still the same fact that the Dead never played the same song twice. So even if, you know, you try to play the same thing, it'll never be the same, which is a, a great thing for us
1: fans. I mean, you know, the fact of the matter is, and whether it's in Dark Star playing the Dead repertoire or you guys playing the JGB repertoire, um, it's still 90% improvised. Yeah. You know, when you're improvising, it's still you. You can't help but be you. Yeah, exactly. And nobody's ever going to be Jerry, which makes things fresh. Right, exactly. Um Charlottesville, man, great dead community. We I remember coming down there when I first joined the band, like 99, 2000 and playing at tracks when we first started mm-hmm. coming down there, which I don't even think exists anymore. Um no. <laughs> you know, now we come down, we play the Jefferson that you mentioned earlier. Um great, great, grateful dead community. What's what's your take on the yeah. community that you have there? Can you talk about it a little bit? Oh uh, man, we we are so blessed. Um
0: I'm so grateful for it literally every day. Um, And as I keep doing this stuff, you know, keep plugging away on the social medias and keep trying to, you know, grind it in a sense like this family that we have here in Charlottesville is just amazing, man. Um, In Richmond, too, they have a huge community that's just really loving. Um, And we we sort of take that, you know, we go from Charlottesville to Richmond to like Lynchburg or, or places like that. And it's just it's separate families in each city that are just so welcoming, so friendly. And they just really love helping, I guess, local, local guys out. Um, it's just become a
1: huge family. That's all I'll say. What, what is it? I mean, obviously, it's Jerry Band or Grateful Dead, either way. But what is it about this music, in your mind, that creates this family, this community, this subculture?
0: Um, I think for me, like when I sort of got into the scene, it was about the fact that we're all flawed in a sense, but we can celebrate our flaws and then come together to form this most beautiful thing that you could ever imagine. You know, these, these people that don't uh, are interact in the scene, they just have no idea that this thing exists. I, I didn't either before I knew about all this. And then you come into it and you're like, wow, I didn't know that people could love me so much and I don't even know them. Um, so it's, it's just about the love, man. Uh, there's, there's nothing else out there that's quite like it. And then you get to a show and, and you experience this sense of community with all the fans. And then, you know, there's that moment in the show where everybody's on the same page and people are getting goosebumps and then the crowd roars and you feel connected to every single aspect
1: in that room at that point. It's just beautiful. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. I'm going to try, and now that I know you're going to be in Richmond after we're done, I'm going to try and come out that night if if, if we're back to the point where we're allowed to go out. We, we haven't decided what we're doing protocol-wise on this next tour. If it had been on the last tour, I wouldn't have been able to come. Uh, you yeah. know, we, we kept to ourselves, but things seem to be which getting is, a little... Which is smart, you know. If anybody gets sick, we're done, you know. But things exactly. seem to be getting a little better, and there's a good chance we'll be... A, have a little bit looser reins on us on this next tour so if so i look forward to coming out and seeing you guys in richmond and uh getting to meet you in person man yeah man right on well thank you so much that's andy tishner of sisters and brothers from charlottesville virginia thank you so much for taking the time today man yeah thanks rob Uh, pleasure to meet you yeah you too That was a fun interview, and that was a little snippet of the Lonesome and a Long Way from Home that we were talking about in there from sisters and brothers out of Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm looking forward to checking them out at the end of the month in person when they're playing after our show in Richmond. If you like what you're hearing today, please consider supporting the podcast with a contribution. We have two ways for you to do this. You can become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as $5 a month. It includes expanded video versions of our segments all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast videos from home and on the road and much much more you can also make a one-time contribution via paypal and part of every contribution goes to the rex foundation you can do this and learn more about the podcast at our website www.themusicplaystheband.net and if you have the time please rate like and review the podcast on whatever podcast player you might use thanks for your continued support and for helping spread the word about the show our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. Grateful Sweats' subtle song designs will strike a chord for heads who get it. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy for a wide selection of cold-weather gear like hoodies, beanies, and of course sweatpants, as well as other Grateful goodies with more than 30 designs to choose from, like Tennessee Jed, Women Are Smarter, and my personal favorite, Eyes of the World. Visit etsy.com slash shop slash or get there from the sponsors page at our website. And right now, if you use the code the Music plays. you can save 10% and receive a free pin. And don't miss out on the clearance section with items up to 80% off. So as soon as you're done listening today, head on over to Grateful Sweats. For my feature conversation today, I'm bringing along my drumming partner, Dino English from Dark Star Orchestra. Dino and I have been drumming side-by-side side for a while now, and if you include the time before we were in Dark Star, uh, we're looking at right around 25 years. There's a lot that goes into double drumming, and we'll talk about that for sure, but there's also a lot more to Dino in his musical career that most of you probably aren't aware of. So here we go, Dino English of Dark Star Orchestra. Okay, so good morning. I am here with my bandmate and drumming partner, Dino English. What's up, D?
3: Hey, thank you, Rob, for having me. Uh, Yeah, I just want to say, man, I'm I'm really impressed with the... what you've done here. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing that I think that you're pulling together. Um, And, uh, and wow, what a, what a list of artists you've had so far now, 30 episodes. That's really, really impressive.
1: Thank you very much, man. And you are number 30.
3: Um, Uh, So I I feel very honored to be among the list of, of, of the people you've chosen so far.
1: All right on, pal. Thank you. So obviously I'm going to know, i know the answers to a lot of this but let's just pretend i don't well maybe you, maybe you don't <laughs> we'll um, see i bet you i will learn something today but like i told everybody you know you and i have been playing drums together you know even pre-dso now 25 years man that's a long time so i know yeah. a lot but maybe, yeah maybe, maybe no, i'll cer- learn cer-
3: something. certainly i mean you know uh i mean you probably have uh your perspective on things that you don't or you know um you you know, but maybe you, you might not know how I'm I'm thinking about things.
1: Perhaps. Right, right, yeah. I was thinking about that as I wrote down the questions. So let's go way back to the beginning to start. Um, give us a little background on how your musical journey started.
3: Uh, I think I first got interested in in the drums um, through uh, my fanfare with uh, Kiss. Right. Peter Peter Chris was my. Cool favorite drummer when i was a kid um matter of fact you and i dressed as peter chris one year um each doing half of the face that's right so i know you you were a peter chris fan as well
1: that's right to give put that into context for y'all <laughs> do and i were double drumming in a local band and we decided we'd go as peter chris as one person though uh, as the two of us so he did the you were one on of the us side. was
3: Peter and one of us was Chris right you were on the other side
1: so uh, he did the the left half of his face and the left half of his clothing and I did the right half of my face and the right half of my clothing and yeah. we forgot about that yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. so Peter Chris for both of us you know that was my first rock concert was seeing Kiss so Peter Chris is what turned and you and on as well drumming. as mine yeah right uh, Peter Chris is what turned you on to drumming to start with
3: yep and actually it was the reason why i bought a pearl kit at the beginning um uh let's see here uh things uh, initially i i was just playing on uh chairs and pillows and and such you know as a lot of people do when they're first starting out and their parents won't get them a drum set and I was begging my parents for uh, drums and they would, they did not want to drum set in the house. Um, So, and all the rest of my brothers play guitar. So like, why don't you play guitar? Like the rest of your brothers, I've got three other brothers who all play guitar. And uh, so I, I acquiesced and did that for a while. And that was probably a good thing. um, You know, to uh, have, I, I, I am a strong believer in, being a multi-instrumentalist, so you can get to catch the perspective from what it's like on the other side. Uh, but it was not the kind of guitar I wanted to learn. It was like you know, Johnny row your boat ashore, hallelujah. You know, some some you know Folky folk stuff. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> had they started me on Beatles or something like that, you know, I'd been probably all about it. But um, and anyway, um, uh, I finally convinced my parents to get a drum let me have a drum set once i you know i had enough money to buy one myself and uh, i said i would only play it when they were after school when they were not home yet and so that lasted for about two weeks and then uh, i i was continued to play i pushed it to dinner time so till so about 5 30 you know um first i would play you know sticks up until 4.30 when my dad would get home uh, and it kind of blew off my mom straight off the bat, you know, <laughs> when she got up a little earlier. Um, and then from 4.30 to 5.30, I would play with brushes, um, you know, pl- pretending I was playing with sticks basically. Um, and then that uh, kind of eventually went to sticks till 5.30 dinner time. And then, so that's, that was my playing time every day.
1: And you lived, you lived like within walking distance of the drum shop too
3: yes right up at the top of the street yeah that mm-hmm. was a big big thing and uh i would actually mow his lawn um that guy's uh up ken, yeah, ken mazzina yeah ken that's right and uh, that's how i would make my money too, around mow lawn and and then save up for a symbol or a symbol stand did you did you take lessons i mean were you taking lessons up at ken's place or anywhere he exchanged lessons with me yes that uh but not very much um i I actually kind of forgot about that but um he we did have a deal where i mowed us on for some lessons right on Uh,
1: drumming wise well then here you you are going to teach me something i don't know then because you know i always think of you because i knew you back then as a guitar player first because some of the bands and we'll get into that but were you playing drums before you were playing guitar
3: no, no, I, I was playing guitar uh, sixth grade, maybe fifth grade, um, somewhere around there, but you know, I was not into it really. It, it was It was not what was um, I, I was not practicing all the time and I was, I was just it was kind of an inter- introductory thing.
1: You started guitar, but then you moved to drums. Who were some of the early influences?
3: It wasn't until I was 15 that I was able. to get the drum set so I, wow. although i had been p- playing in my mind once i got the drums i actually already kind of knew how to play because i had been doing air drums but but really thinking about what i'm supposed to be doing at the time you know um and I, I remember doing this to uh probably the very first song i learned like okay this is what's happening this is what's supposed to be happening hi hat this way snares kick um was led zeppelin um uh cashmere and it's a you know it's a it's a really long song and it's more or less real steady and kind of kind of slow but slow and steady you know there's some really awesome licks in there but um but the basics the basics of it was or the basis and the basics of it was was just a straight four four beat uh, and it just was a long time and long steady and that was where i really learned the basics of a basic beat yeah
1: right on who so so then and now we're throwing john bonham in there peter chris who are some of your other mu- early musical influences
3: well um certainly uh stuart copeland i was a huge police fan huge and i know you were too and uh neil pert um of course those were the three initial ones yeah Bonham, pert and stuart copeland and what about on the guitar guitar uh jimmy page for sure before I, i didn't discover the dead until 91 so um that came much later um uh yeah i was huge huge jimmy page fan um, really liked all that acoustic stuff that he was doing um, and uh, and the electric stuff. Later on, a little, not much not much later, uh, we, we, we had a really good um, drum line at, at least there was a couple of really good drummers at, at Parkway North. And um, they caught wind that I had started playing and they um, told me I should sign up with them, you know, uh, get in, get in on the band, uh, marching band thing. And they said, it real, it will really improve your chops and it'll be good for you. And, uh, I did respect these guys. They were really good. I, I looked up to them a lot. And, you know, they're like, you know, the best drummers are in jazz. And so, and also they took lessons from, um, Kevin G and, right on. right. And so that's how, that's how I, into lessons with Kevin Giannino, which I know it was your teacher as well. Yeah. Or you took, took from him. So that's a, a little bit of a coincidence or something. Yeah.
1: Cause we didn't know each other at that time. Yeah.
3: That's right. And, uh, so I just started to discover, you know, um, some of the more fusion players, probably first, um, definitely in, in, into Gad and Chikoria and, um, uh Peter Erskine and uh uh Billy Cobham uh and I also was way into per- progressive rock that, that's for sure yeah and then um I tried to learn as far as guitar goes I tried to learn that uh, mood for the day by Steve Howe from Yes which you know I never got very far with but um c- certainly uh Yes was a huge influence to, on me in the early days early 80s and but I was mostly listening to early seventies stuff. Really, right. Like the Bill Bruford stuff. I was a huge Bill Bruford fan as well.
1: And so, um And you were a big early Genesis fan too.
3: Big early Genesis fan way way into that. And um, Bruford actually played with Genesis for a little bit and um, before Chester Thompson came in. Um and um so um, I was into definitely a lot of uh, I caught Genesis on the mama tour. I think it was 83 or maybe very early 84 um, at the arena, maybe January of 84. I think I recently looked this up and, um, and that, that had a profound effect on me for sure. Um, The two drummers, that was where my love of two drum dual drums
1: first began. I did not know that I learned something. All right. Success.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's what it, where it was at. I mean, I was I was like, wow, that is so cool. The two drummers, it's just I mean, it was so huge and big and and they you know played off each other and it was just like fantastic. And and Phil Collins and Chester Thompson playing playing off each other, it was really, really, really awesome.
1: So you got the prog rock, you got the Bruford, you got the Genesis, all that stuff. And you're not into the dead yet, and we're gonna get there, but your early bands that you're in are way far away from the dead. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? You know, what type of music you were playing in bands and you weren't always playing drums in the bands either, were you?
3: Uh, yeah, initially I was playing drums. Uh, my, uh, well, my very first band was an all girl band except for me. I don't know if we even had a name at that point. Um, but we later became Carpe Diem when, um, a, there was a male vocalist that came in. And so it was two girls and two guys. They were into kind of punk kind of stuff. Uh, uh bowie and uh and we did some garages and that was fun there was a few of course there was a few bands i was trying to get into in high school where i had tryouts and i didn't make it you know i had only been playing for a year or two and just (laughs) failed the failed that those auditions but you know it was all part of the process but um you know i'm a strong believer and and um the road to success is paved with a lot of failures so you know you just got to keep on Hopping back on the horse and and uh, keep at it. And then,
1: uh, so, some of those bands came in after after you heard the deads, but so let's go there first, even though they'll kind of overlap with each other. You mentioned you first heard the dead in '91, that first year. Yeah. Um, how, how did it happen? And do you remember what it was?
3: Uh, let's see here. Before that, I, I do want to get back to like a, a pretty predominant band that I, my first band, band that I felt like when I, mean, I started to play Kennedys and you know the clubs right. around St. Louis was called the Icons and um it was a four piece uh it was alternative rock although we did play some some outside covers like uh Aerosmith and the Doors and uh Alice Cooper but it's pr- predominantly you know like a 80s alt band um alternative rock band um, Are you on drums or guitar in that band? I I am on drums. You're on drums and um we would quite often play with uh paul chickie um who would play percussion he was a huge genesis fan as well and we'd get together and he was the first guy that i played double drums with
1: go ahead one of of your bandmates from that band though if i'm not mistaken went on to much bigger and better things
3: yes yes james gunn he is a huge movie um director or uh, screenwriter he's done. I think his the latest thing was the Suicide. Uh, what's it suicide the, Squad, yeah, Suicide Squad, and he's, he's done all the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, he's did the original Scooby Doo movies. Um, so uh, he's big time, yeah.
1: He's uh, <laughs> big time, top of the game, man. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, and uh, but, you know, talk about success. He's, he's <laughs> but he he always was a great writer of lyrics um, but um, not so, so great of a singer. So he, he finally found his niche and, and he certainly did. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get back
1: to the dead. Then it's 91.
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm in college. Uh, well, it was a summer, summer, uh, summer break. I'm living up and I'm going to uh, central Methodist college, which is about a half an hour outside of Columbia, Missouri. Uh, one of my friends has a ticket. Uh, and an extra ticket to see the dead in, at Sandstone, and he's like, "You got to come, you, you know." He's like, "You've never seen the dead, but you got to go." And and so I went. It was uh, June. I think it was June twenty fifth. I think they played there the twenty fourth and twenty fifth. I saw it the second show.
1: So did did you know a Grateful Dead song at all when you went to the show? I, and you knew nothing.
3: I knew "Trucking," which they played on the radio, and um. Uh, maybe I had heard, I had had friends who were trying to turn me onto it before, so they would play me this stuff, and I just was like, you know, I'm not gonna. It sounds, I'm like, sounds kind of loose, you know, it sounds, doesn't sound very good, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and then you go to the show, and what grabs you? I mean, obviously, obviously, something happened.
3: <laughs> well, um, um, the light went off when I was there for sure. I, I, I went in not really knowing what to expect and came out of that show pretty much, you know, a different person. Um, it all made sense to me, uh, you know, and, and, and the fun thing that was happening with my previous band, the icons and everything, we would have these jams and, we've, and we actually called them, um, like one of our songs was called Freak Out Nay, you know, it's just pretty much just do whatever, you know, and, and we had a, a great time just improvising. Um, and it, I don't know if it was really improvising in the classical sense that you think about it, but it was, we were just making any kind of sounds, you know, it would, it, you could almost call it space music, you know? Um, and so, uh, I'm like, wow, these guys are pulling this off in front of this massive crowd. It was un- unimaginable, you know, that people would, um, uh, be willing to sit there and listen to just noise pretty much, you know? <laughs> Uh, and, um, but I got it, you know, I mean, I understood that approach at the same time. I mean, like, but it just amazed me that these guys were able to, to kind of do the whole package. They had songs, they took you different places and then they just dropped you off a ledge and then they brought you back. And it was like a, it was like an Epic novel almost. And, and it, it totally clicked and I got it. And I was a deadhead ever since. I only knew two songs, that whole show trucking. They played trucking and they played good Lovin'" at the, at the end. And those were really the only songs I knew. Uh, the other song that really struck me though, that really was poignant for me that night uh, was uh, comes to time coming out of the, the drums and space with the, that ballad. It really hit me hard. Wow. As you start to
1: hear more and more of the grateful dead songs, So now you've heard it, you've gone to the show. So I assume you start studying it just like the rest of us did. As you start to hear more and study the catalog, was there a, or maybe this happened at that show. I don't know. Was there just a, 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 holy shit moment, you know, that was, it just grabbed you and made you say, Oh my God, this is it. This is what I want to do.
3: I think when I came out of the Grateful Dead show, I was like, I want to do something like that, but not the Grateful Dead. I wanted to do the same formula per se, you know, songs with space music and then the whole roller coaster that they had somehow, you know, and, and that's when, um, I I started vitamin a up at, uh, with Tony, Tony went to school with me. So the two of us started writing songs and, and Tony was there at the show too. And, um, that, that might've been his first show as well. um, so that's when vitamin a which was an original band that hit st louis um in the early 90s i think 92 was our first show uh uh, playing uh, kennedy's and then opening for blue dixie uh, (laughs) and and just uh you know playing around um and that's when i was then that's when i was playing guitar right right and i i i guess i wanted to do take the songwriter approach thing you know uh and actually be a part of the the writing process and i guess that's why i uh, drifted from the drums to the guitar for a while well, and I, I actually I actually played in a band on bass before that um with with jerry saraceni um, right, that's Scott.
1: what i was going to bring up next the, when dino's on guitar in that band the drummer is jerry Saracini, who's been on the program long ago like episode three or four. He's down in Dallas, Texas now, and he's the drummer in a band called Forgotten Space.
3: Yeah, yeah. He he was he was really he was one of these guys. He was one of the first people who actually tried to turn me on to the dead um, before I was into it. And he would, you know, we'd go out on a Friday night. He would slip these tapes in the in the car, and he's like set the scene for me. And you know, and I was just I was just not getting it. I was just not getting it.
1: (laughs) It needed Uh, to be seen in person for you.
3: Yeah, yeah, but he did. You know, he he made me curious to a certain extent. You know, uh I remember one time he talking about he was talking about the very first time they broke out the weight. He's like he set the scene. He's like, you know, there was rumors they were going to play it, break it out, and, and you know, and all this. Listen to this crowd when they start playing it. You know, and it's like everybody <sighs> sings a verse, and it's even the bass player sings. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Okay, you, you mentioned a song, the wait. So let's let's take that to the next uh, question. Are there particular songs or eras, even, that you really get off on harder than others? You know, pick out some favorite for me. Well,
3: initially, yeah. I mean, my first tape that I listened to a lot was um, uh, a show we just finally played recently this summer, which was uh, June twenty fourth, eighty five, Ohio. That show I listened to over and over again. Um, and it was uh i don't know that one sunk deep in me um uh the whole progression of the second set was just amazing to me um and we did play it in in Cincinnati in Cincinnati all right yeah uh after all these years finally um and i think we did a pretty good job with it actually that it was, was a good it, night you know, that, it, it it was a hard that's a hard show for me to live up to in my mind you know but i think we did uh, uh, you know pretty adequate job at it um so uh yeah you know and after getting into the band of course you know the the floodgates opened i was i started paying attention to many different eras but yeah initially it was the 80s mid 80s probably later on everything opened up even you know and for the longest time i was not into the the 60s stuff just because the sound recordings were not really you know up to par as far as I, mean, I did listen to some of that stuff but it just i was just much more into it when they got a little bit more refined i'd say but after playing that stuff and after jeff joined the band especially um that's when that really that that night that's 60 stuff really opened up to me
1: same for me man you know it, and, and it's been kind of fun you know because we had never done that stuff and like you said part of the problem was when we were coming up it was all cassettes and you're trying to listen to the sixties tapes and you're trying to listen to the music through the noise yeah. all the ta- and you couldn't hear it. And the recordings were so too bad, much,
3: too, too much work. To, yeah, so to actually,
1: just, <laughs> it was, it was awful. And a lot of it's, you know, 20 minute jams and you take those spacey instrumental jams and put a bunch of tape noise over a bad recording and it's just not worth listening to. And yeah, then that's exactly how I felt as, and, and as we started to do it, you know, we got those better recordings to listen to you and I could sit down and really listen to what was going on. And we both, kind of found a newfound appreciation for that 60 stuff and now i know for me anyway and i'm pretty sure if you we love playing it it's fun
3: yeah yeah um and you know it when you after playing it you you, you realize okay these kids th- these are these guys are just kids at this point you know um they were early 20s and total reckless abandon yep. you know they play like they're <laughs> you know they play like they're little kids you know right if you, if you think about it so yeah. this was a good segue right
1: into the drumming, man.
3: Let's dig into the drumming.
1: Okay. Um, obviously, in our band, you do the Billy thing. I do the Mickey thing for the most part. You know, When we do the one drummers, we switch off, and I'm very lucky. I get to do a little bit of both. But let's talk about Billy specifically for you. Um, What is it about his style that influenced you and brought you to this place? Because I have to assume once you started learning the songs and getting into the band, you really start keying in on the drummers because we're drummers. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. So what was it about Billy and his style that really influenced you or really said, boy, this is just the coolest stuff.
3: I think, first of all, I, I recognize Bill as being a completely unique drummer. I mean, uh, I think that nobody sounds like Billy, um, but also the, the thing that I appreciate about Bill is uh, he's, you know, the backbone, he, he's the, the, the groove center per se he could play really rock solid at times and just like lay it down. And um, I appreciate that about that. I really like the way they both work together. Um, You know, uh, Mickey always seemed like a percussionist on a drum set to me. Um, Although he was doing some, you know, regular straight ahead drums, drum set playing as well. But, um and I, I think that's the way even before i really knew what was going on that's the way jerry initially described it to me you know it's like they have one uh r&b rock drummer and one world beat drummer and that's the way that's the way that whole thing works uh uh which was a little different than my perspective that i got from genesis the other double drumming band that i was into right right uh, and i you know it, I, and i liked what what billy was was doing i liked his his groove and um his his little piece of the puzzle and i said i you know i i, I felt like i i was at home with that that kind of thing
1: right on when, when i mean you know
3: when when we first were playing together you know we were like we didn't really <laughs> we didn't it was you were getting ready to say this yeah exactly <laughs> right uh we didn't really define our thing you know like we we just went you were you were playing rob and i was playing dino and we were playing two and i think that's kind of our both of our natural approaches you you have a lot of percussion experience and and um and i think you dug the that aspect of of mickey and you know mickey was full uh you gotta love i i personally love all the the, the fills the big fills he would do on the times and all this and everything and and <laughs> this is yeah. too funny i'm so, gonna go
1: back and read you what i wrote down for my next question okay when we first started playing together prior to dso we didn't really define our roles
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> in yeah. fact we were actually and this is the truth we were actually on the opposite sides that we are now yep. just because when we started playing we didn't Okay, I'm here. You said you're here, there. I'll say her.
3: Yeah, but her. Yeah, that's
1: just the way it worked out, you know. Um, that's so funny. You used my exact words, man. But uh it 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 just sort of fell into place by our influences, and and like you said, and when it came time to join DSO, I remember us. We just looked at each other and we knew which role each of us was gonna play. We didn't talk about it, we just it was a given. Yeah,
3: like how are we gonna work this out? You know, so uh, okay, yeah,
1: I'm gonna exactly. be the, do the Mickey parts and you're gonna do the Billy parts because that's what we like to do. I guess we're gonna yeah. have Swiss. And I remember at the beginning, it was really weird being on the other side of you, mm-hmm. you know, because we had spent three years or whatever, two years, two and a half years, whatever, playing with me on the right and you on the left. And all of a sudden, we got on stage with Darkstar and I had to look the other way to see you
3: yeah, and, and yeah. cross my
1: body as opposed to looking in the natural direction. I remember that being really weird. yeah, um, You know, and inside DSO, we each have specific jobs to do within the context of dso to 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 bring the product the way we like to bring it how does your drumming in in the role you're playing in dark star how does your role drumming have to change as we move out throughout the eras of the grateful dead
3: well uh you know as as time goes goes on well first of all you know uh, you know some people may say that the late 60s was the prime of the grateful Dead, but and in some aspects perhaps it was, but I saw them getting more refined, which is what I appreciated it. And, you know, they, and perhaps a little more mature. Um, and, um, so for me, really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the chop stuff, but in, in fact, I, I'm a bigger fan of just creating a good feel. That's, that's the most important thing to me. And, 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 creating a good feel for the band for the audience um i am not really there to show off at all um you know i, I uh you know by the same token I, I do appreciate chops um but i think my favorite drummers take that approach as well you know like steve Gadd is a, a perfect example of that you know he's he, he will play simple when it's required he, he serves the music you know? yeah, he's got
1: as much chops as anybody out there and he chooses not to use them
3: right right so i want to be able to do all that stuff but um i i uh, choose the right time to to try to pull that stuff out i think i or at least i try to you know i mean we're we're all guilty of of, of doing some <laughs> pulling some stuff out when it wasn't really appropriate
1: that was actually one of the big challenges for me and i know for you too when we started in this band was having to rein in our vocabulary a little bit, you know, you mentioned Stuart Copeland earlier and who I'm a huge fan of. I love splash symbols. those really small, short symbols that short sounding symbols for those of you that don't know. And Stuart Copeland and Carter Beauford from the uh, Dave Matthews band, have those all over their kits. And I would use them all the time.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, Billy would break that. He actually put those on his kit in the nineties, you know, and, and you get
1: to bring it back later and have some fun start. with it. And whenever you hit it, it makes me smile, you know,
3: but even even so, when he when he brought this out, he didn't really play it like, a, you know, like Stuart Copeland or, or, you know, he he played it just kind of like an, it was another crash. Symbol. <laughs>
1: right. But point point is, we we both had to I had to take those off of my drum kit because they don't fit with what I was doing in Dark Star. So we don't have to change. We had to change our vocabulary a little bit and what 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 we were with within the context yeah. of equipment, maybe of what we could and couldn't use and certain drumming devices, musical devices that we both maybe love, but don't fit the context of what we're doing.
3: Uh, yes, I, I think the shows provided, um, a, a great framework for developing that discipline. Um, and I think that's playing, actually playing the shows and listening to so deeply to all these shows is perhaps what gives dark star an extra little, uh, whatever it is that um, a lot of other dead bands don't have at the same time, then we have the elective sets or the original uh, set list that we do our own picks that open us up to then, you know, with all that knowledge gaining of all that, all that gained from all the listening and of the different versions and the different years and, uh, Bring that to the table with the the elective, and it kind of is a, uh, brings all that knowledge into the elective. And then you can kind of open up and do your own interpretation. One of these days,
1: one of these days, during an elective, I'm going to put three splash symbols on my kid and just go crazy.
3: Yeah, well, I. I that's when I put up the elective. I mean, that's when I put up my splash. Right. The <laughs> I haven't had
1: the guts yeah. to do it yet. Um, let's change directions for a minute and talk about songwriting. Cause you, you brought it up a little while ago when you switched back to guitar, a lot of people out there probably don't realize that you're a songwriter as well. And, and, and you've put out a few different projects. I know you wrote for vitamin A and East ash and icons and all that, but you've put out a few projects over the years. And for me, most notably about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now, was a band and an album called shimmy shack which we still use it's
3: over 17 years is it really that long yeah holy
1: shit dude (laughs) i'm getting old um that was a really interesting time and i just thought it was really interesting the way you put that album together and how how you were managed to record it and i wanted you to share with the people a little bit how, how that album came to be
3: um yeah yeah i uh uh well you know uh i was really interested in getting into the um whole early concept of recording process I, I got pro tools early on in 2003 or 4 and it was just brand new where you could get it on your laptop and carry it around with you and kind of record so i did that i, I uh, they had this thing called uh, acid back in the day uh, which was a uh, acid and sound forge and acid was a, a loop program um so I started just playing around with the stuff. Um, actually, I was a big fan of of the Paul's Boutique album, the Bo- Beastie Boys' Paul's Boutique album. Um, the way they spliced together all these different live—it was all live loops mm-hmm. uh, of, of of songs and recordings—and I just I just thought it was really artistic the way that they put the whole thing together. Um, uh, initially, it wasn't one of their when it first came out, it was kind of a flop album, but, um, it's it standard the test of time. Um, and it's kind of like, a, one of the very first ones that really went, um, full on with this concept of just, uh, piecing together new material off of old material. So I, I kind of wanted to take that approach and, and record rhythm loops and put together songs with these different loops of, that I make myself. Right. So that was my um, concept. And uh, uh, eventually, so I started carrying this, my laptop around with me. And wherever I was, I, we, we played these festivals quite often. And I needed um, a, a guitar part or a bass part or whatever, a keyboard part. And I would just look uh, wherever I was in the, in the, whatever tune I was, pl- whatever tune I was developing. At, at the people around me and i'm like well maybe he'll do it you know i'll just go ask and with, with you know perhaps uh they'll say yes and some perhaps they will say no but um it, a lot of them said yes uh and so i ended up with all these different uh uh great musicians on the album um i would say you know most notably uh Vassar Clemens was one of one of them uh <laughs> Uh, I, I, I I think, in fact, I, I have the, the last recording he ever made as far as uh, uh, studio recording or, or wow. release. Um,
1: I remember it, it, when we used to do Grateful Fest, we were at Nelson Ledges, and I needed I needed to get a bag out of the back lounge of the bus. <laughs> and I come back, and I open the door, and Dito's got microphones hanging from the ceiling, and he's got the saxophone player from the Dirty Dozen Brass Band back there.
2: Yeah, yeah i'm recording
1: yeah. right now <laughs> yeah, getting another exactly. track for the shimmy shack album it right, was a great right. album man it was it, it was it was so much fun too and we played one or two shows and it's a band that didn't uh didn't do came, as much as it deserved to
3: but well, it came together really good and i i still find it very listenable oh um, yeah
1: my god i listen to it all our sound man still plays it between sets
3: yeah yeah uh and it's uh, i always judge music by how many times can I listen to it without me not getting bored of it, you know? And I, I still, I'm, I'm still not bored of it. So, that's awesome. Um, and it's available for free, by the way, if you go to Bandcamp, um, <laughs> right it's, it's out there. Go to Bandcamp, Shimmy Shack, it, download it, it's free.
1: Check it out, folks, because it's really good stuff. So another thing you have going on, everybody here knows that the music I play at the beginning and between the segments and at the end, or not at the end. The beginning and between the segments is uh, pieces of our drum solos that you've taken and reproduced and, and turned into stuff. And I know you're about to come out with an album of that stuff, hopefully soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. give, me, give me the uh, quick rundown on how that works and what you've been doing.
3: Okay, well, uh, this this developed uh, over time. I have some pieces that originally started, I think, as early as 2001, span to real recent stuff as well um and it's just uh where i took segments of the drums looped them used that as the foundation uh of the rhythmic foundation for tunes and i dropped stuff over it mostly keyboard oriented stuff but some guitar stuff Well, Uh mostly keyboards uh um and beam and whatever else, uh, any kind of sound just to piece together new tunes from improvised parts. Um, it's called, uh, Dino English's altered dimensions featuring Rob Koritz.
1: Right on. I like the title and and hopefully we're going to have that out soon
3: for everybody to be able to purchase and hear and listen to. Yeah. Yeah. It's been done for a while. Uh, I finally got it mastered. Brad Sarno mastered it um and uh, now actually i'm at the artwork i'm just finalizing the artwork and so as soon as the artwork is finished uh it'll uh, it's going to be available at cd baby Is is my going to be my outlet for it awesome
1: so i will keep you all posted because it's going to be pretty cool it's going to be a lot of stuff like what you hear on the intro music from the podcast from dark star orchestra drums throughout the years we're going to do something I've never done on the podcast before. I reached out. I'm going to take a little bit of different tact here. I reached out to some of our listeners who have connected through my website, which any of you out there can do. If you sign up, give me your email address, and we'll get some correspondence going uh, through the website. But the ones that are on there, <clears throat> I asked them if they had any, any questions for us, and I got a few interesting ones back. So here we go, we're both going to answer, but I'm going to let you answer first. All right? All right. The first one was... And I don't have names of who sent them, but just from listeners, and I appreciate it. Double drumming is a hard thing to do. What is it about double drumming that appeals to you? And what are the what do you feel are the most imp- important aspects for getting it right?
3: Um. Well, it's the, the synchronicity. It's the um, it's the largeness that can. Uh, it's a extra. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's extra. Weight that can occur—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a, it's a heavier, heavier thing um, with two drums. It's just powerful. It's just you know extra powerful, um, and it definitely you know uh, it takes. You c- as you know, it it not every drummer is is geared towards that kind of thing. Um, uh, you got to really listen to each other and 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 give room for each other. And um, uh, listening is, is the main thing, you know. You yep. you you, you want to listen to the music as a whole, uh, and and your drumming partner is is part of that whole for sure. And you you you're all you, you need to contribute to the music by not playing sometimes, and or or, or playing simply and whatever works for the music. You know, right. it, when when you're doing it right, it's that hugeness that I think I appreciate. And
1: it's it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, and and we don't always nail it. There's nights where we uh, where we don't feel great about it when we're done, or even from song to song where we don't necessarily nail it. But I think what the the biggest thing, and you touched on it, is having your ears open. Um, it can work really well if you get, if the two drummers are in tune with each other. And I mean, as far as listening or it can be a disaster if they overplay right on top of each other.
3: Uh, yeah. Okay. So here, here's a kind of a interesting concept uh, or that, or interesting discussion, a uh, theoretical discussion about double drumming. Um, um, I, you know, I, I think um, music is uh, good music as a tension and release. Uh, uh, that's, that was, you know, kind of drilled into me in music school, um, and so uh, I don't necessarily think it's it's necessary that um, all the musicians play totally in sync with each other all the time. They have to. There's times when they can get go on the outside of the beat, um, mm-hmm. but still be in the beat as well. Um, uh, like polyrhythms for for example, uh, the, the definition of polyrhythm is two independent beats happening at the same time, and that creates tension, and then when it snaps back into place that's the release. so that is a, a musical uh, thing right in, in my mind
1: and that's one of the reasons I like double drumming i'm I'm going to talk about it real quick from a solo aspect because I would much, much rather play a solo with you where it's not a solo, so it's a duet. But I would much rather play a solo with a partner because you do have that polyrhythm going on and, and and you do have counterpoint and things juxtaposing each other. And I would much rather do that than just get up there by myself. I still enjoy playing by myself, but I don't enjoy doing a drum solo as me by myself nearly as much as I enjoy doing a drum solo with a partner. Next question. And this one, this is news to me, so maybe you'll be able to shed some light. The question was, I understand that Kreutzman and Mickey used to get bored with some of the slow songs or the cowboy songs, etc., which I didn't know. This person read that somewhere. Can you relate to that? How did you deal with that situation? Do we ever get bored with the slow songs or the
3: cowboy songs? I don't. Certainly, I don't get bored of the slow songs. I I find those to be extremely challenging to play them well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, in in my mind, playing slow is just as tough, if if not tougher, than playing fast. Because I think it's tougher. So much space in between the notes, um, that um, and to keep every you got to keep to keep one of those songs locked into it nice groove and a tempo is um, a challenge always yep. and, and um and i think we do a pretty good job of it just, I, for even with part, that challenge
1: that they're yeah. definitely some of the more challenging songs for me for us you know to, to and you, keep you have to slow. play,
3: yeah so you have to play them sparse you know there, there's no room to be busy with them and and anything. the other
1: thing i like about the ballads and the slow songs is they lend themselves. To the dynamics, you know, of playing quieter and louder and having it ebb and flow. And I'm, and I'm a very dynamic player. I love quiets and louds and and the, the ballads are where you have that. Let's just take Stella Blue, where it could be pin drop silent during the verses. And then you get to the bridge where I've stayed in every blue light cheap hotel and it just gets huge and then comes back to a verse and gets quiet again. Morning yeah. Dew, you know, same thing. So that's the beauty of the ballads for me is doing that. And then yeah, so
3: I, uh, it's such an in, important ingredient in, in in the set. I mean, I appreciate the ballads tremendously. Right. a uh, very important part. So I don't get bored of them. I don't
1: get bored with them either. And then the cowboy songs, I don't get bored with either, but you know, maybe because I approach it differently, you know, is for me personally on a cowboy song, I might think more about, you know, than maybe thinking about dynamics or where it's going to go in a jam because it doesn't really have those things. So I'll think about my left foot, my right foot, rather my bass drum and skip just locking, you know, I'll you know, concentrate on that and find something else to focus on that keeps it interesting.
3: I, I focus on the audience uh, quite often with the, uh, the cowboy tunes because those are what the, you know, the foot stompers that everybody loves to dance to and it gets the crowd going and then they're just fun to watch. And, and it's, it's another important part of the show. You know, and that's
1: yeah. a big difference between me and you, because I always, we've talked about this before, I forget about the crowd sometimes. And, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but when I first joined the band, when we first joined the band, I never looked at the crowd. And then I realized there's a whole different set of energy out there that can inspire our playing You know, by, by paying attention to the crowd. And I go through ebbs and flows where I'll forget that they're there and I need to start paying attention to them again. You're much more aware of them, I think, than I am. And neither one of those is good or bad, it's just the way it is
3: yeah, I mean there's certainly times when um I'm not you know uh, I've got my eyes closed, you probably see it quite often, and probably some of the audience does too. and I'm just totally listening to the music yeah i I look out there and I can see how you know just to see if the effectiveness of what how we're doing this, yeah um you know uh, it's you get immediate feedback and you know and if 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 the whole if you got a good feel going on and bands happening and, and you, you see it in the crowd, you know, you know, it's happening.
1: Yeah, man. And we just had, one. I just had one of those moments. And for us, you were there obviously, but and it wasn't necessarily grateful dead related because we weren't playing a dead tune, but the last song of the last tour was at the, at the new place in Denver called the mission ballroom. And we did peace of my heart so that Lisa could just go out and do a little Janice thing and get another, get another song to wail on and we'd never played it before we played it once i guess or twice but never played it in front of that kind of crowd in that kind of room and it was encore after a really good show and the way the lights hit the whole crowd you could see the entire room and everybody was standing and going i mean i'm even telling the story now just like it was that moment it was like a a, a hair on the back of my neck standing up kind of moment you know just because mm-hmm. the crowd was so much a part of what we were doing at that particular two minutes or whatever you know yeah. Um, next question. You all have had the opportunity to play with a lot of legends. What are some of your most memorable?
3: Well certainly Bob Weir. <laughs> uh yeah, huge Bob fan. Um uh and he uh although we had um some players played before Vince played before I think Bob did but uh, And Donna
1: did too. Donna played with us
3: before Bob did as well. Did she? Yeah. Okay. Um yeah, yeah. It was it the Fillmore the first time we
1: played? the first time Bob played with
3: us was it. No, I mean um Donna. And Alabama when she came down when we were down there. Oh that's right. Yeah, that yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. But uh Bob was the first of the core four, as they say, um right. to play with us. And that was back as as we realized it was twenty it was years a, ago. Yeah, it was the spring. <laughs>
1: It was a spring of 2002. And then later that summer, Billy played with us for the first time at the Oregon country fair.
3: Yeah. Uh, at, uh, that was a
1: big year for dark star.
3: Yeah. Bob played uh, at the Warfield and you yeah. reminded him of that <laughs> when he yes. came down this last time. Was like, and he was like, Oh boy. And he's like, he, he goes like, Oh geez. 20 years ago.
1: Holy crap, 20 years. What about our, not, some of the non-dead who are some of my favorite non dads
3: Oh, like, uh, I don't You know, it, so many different, uh, Sam Bush, um,
1: Richie Hayward,
3: Richie Hayward. Wow. Um, yeah. Legend, um,
1: Vassar, you mentioned Vassar before, you know, having Vassar play with us.
3: Vassar, uh, um, the, the hot tuna guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. wow. You know, um, I, I
1: guess the answer to this person's question is they're all memorable because it's amazing that we've gotten to play with these people. And these people want to come and do it with us. You know, they're willing to come on our stage and play with us. It's, 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 it's validating in one respect that they respect us enough that they want to come out and play with us.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, so many, uh, and, and some people are, uh I'd still like to play with um, you. Yeah.
1: Got plenty on my list still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's one, one of the coolest parts for me is
3: absolutely it's not only meeting
1: line. my heroes, but getting to play music with my heroes. And in some instances, becoming friends and striking up relationships with some of my oh, well,
3: yeah I mean, you, you've had a bunch of these people on your shows now.
1: Yeah, it's know. pretty crazy, you know. Yeah. Um Follow up to that. When a member of the dead plays with you, does it influence or change the way you approach the music?
3: Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> 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 you know, I mean... We all know where Bob likes to play the tempos nowadays. It's, uh, and we can set the record straight. The drummers don't control the tempo. It's kind of, it's controlled by where the song is counted off by the singer. And no
1: matter whether that's Dead and Company, DSO, every band in the world, you know, it's whoever in a lot of bands, the drummer does count it off, but in, in this music, he doesn't. So it's dictated by the person who's counting it off, which is usually the person who's singing it.
3: Right, right. In this world, yeah, most of the time. Um, it's true that the drummers do count it off, but they are um, supposed to count it off at a specific tempo. Not at the at <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Not the, not the tempo of their choice. Right. And um, when Bob came down this last time, it was like, we got to do everything we can to make Bob feel comfortable here. And so, you know, we made it a point to uh, try to play the tempo he wanted it. And so, yeah, that's definitely a, um, yeah. Away, yeah.
1: To, Definitely changed it. And he even said that night, you know, on this particular one, you know, I know this is probably a little slower than you're used to it. Um, but this is what feels good to me right now and this is where I like it. And and I said I think but
3: he's I think he said, but it can be fun right here.
1: Right. And I said to him, <laughs> Do you feel like we're pushing you at all? Because that's what we were worried about. You know, we don't like this is where he wants it. We don't want it's hard to play slow, like we talked about earlier, but you don't want to push him away from what he wants. So I said do you feel like we're pushing you at all? And he's looked up at both of us and he goes, no, not at all. It feels great. And I was immediately like, whew.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that, and that's all of the challenge. of. Uh, I, I really do think that we can make it sound good at any tempo. Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't like the slow tempo sometimes, but you might find yourself getting uh, sucked into that tempo that you might not necessarily be comfortable with but if, it, if the song is really grooving and feeling good it it will hit you
1: and it will still feel good you know it's, and it it's all still about feel the feel good, man it, 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 yeah. yeah uh last one from a fan this might be a tough one for us because if we could go on we could do a whole episode on this probably but the short versions of how do you all approach the drum solo each night what you're going to play which instruments incorporating incorporating electronics etc how do you guys construct your drum solo you want to go first
3: a lot of that is dictated by the show that we're playing if we're playing an actual grateful dead show we'll try to use the same ingredients um not necessarily i mean there's still a lot of leeway with the different rhythms we're hitting and, and different, you know, we will listen to the actual show version and use that as a um, blueprint for textures. Right. And, um, and then take it from there, I think. And- I,
1: I would say the easiest way to say that to them would be for the shows. It's not necessarily what we play that we take from them, but it's what we play it on
3: yeah yeah yeah
1: you know if, if we we're not we're not going to play electronics during a 76 show because it didn't exist you know it's drum kits only so we'll listen to what instruments are they using and maybe we might say well, they're using a triplet feel But then that's as far as we go you know or yeah
3: i mean there there could be a certain things that we we, we borrow uh, or you know are, are influenced by as far as they're what they're playing rhythmically right but it, it's more so the textures yeah for sure and And then perhaps the uh, just kind of the uh, progression. Okay, they started on kits, and then they moved to this texture, and then moved to this texture. And right
1: with all those drums out out back behind us and all that. What's our roadmap? How are we going to move around that kit? Yeah. And and how's it? What's it end with? You know, some nights it might end with, you know, they played all these big drums and all that, but then it ends with Dino on a talking drum and me on a hand drum on a tar. You know, so we hear that. And we'll play that, but only those instruments we're not playing the same thing they played, but we'll use that as our roadmap and then what about on the, on the on the on the elective shows man how would you how would you say we can well, I, I
3: um I look at the electives as more of like what, what what would they be doing today, and we can we know what they're doing today with by some of the stuff they're doing today, <laughs> but yeah uh, expand the technology to match you know they were grateful dead were always at the forefront of technology and so um doing old shows uh, you kind of lose that aspect of it um so uh we bring in the loop aspect of 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 what's happening or what's available at our fingertips nowadays and so i i use ableton live for the electives quite often not always but um i like to um explore kind of those different avenues where that uh, that's possible and um yet still keeping it spontaneous you're uh creating the stuff on the spot right for the part it's, it, mo- most of it's not pre-programmed uh, although occasionally we'll use a, a loop that we find it's sound check or something like that like oh right. but Ooh, even wonder- then
1: we're just using that as a bed and putting more stuff over it right so yeah. you know there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it but for me the how i approach the drum solo every night the basic answer to that question would be I approach it with an open mind. Even if we have a roadmap of what we might use that night, as far as instrumentation goes, I approach it rhythmically with a completely open mind. And, and to be completely honest, hope that it works.
3: Yeah. And and I think, you know, we probably have a similar way of judging them in that. uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think a, a good drums is one that has a good flow to it. Yeah. And there's, and there's
1: nights that it doesn't, I mean, when, yeah. when when Dino and I walk off stage at the end of drums, we walk off on opposite sides of the stage most of the time. He goes and does his thing for a minute. I go and do my thing. And we'll see each other again right before we're about to go back on the stage. And we might look at each other, and, or we might not see each other until we are on the stage. But we'll look at each other and give each other a nod and a thumbs up like that was good. Some nights I'll walk up to him as we're coming out of the bathroom and go, my loop totally didn't work. I'm sorry, man. I couldn't hit it. I couldn't get it working. You know, some yeah. nights it works out really, really well. Some nights it's not so good. I think we're very lucky that more often than not we're fairly satisfied with what comes out.
3: I would agree, absolutely. Um, yeah, but occasionally, yeah. Uh, one of the things that can happen with the electronic stuff, especially if you're trying to learn, you know, trying to try a new thing out, it just doesn't go smoothly, and it's like, oh, shit. yeah. That's there's, not there's, the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way it was level. supposed to. Go. <laughs>
1: we have the electronics up there both directions me to him and him to me there's a lot more apologizing going on than there is when we're playing acoustic drums
3: (laughs) but when it works it's really cool
1: yeah exactly all right man hey i do this with every one of my guests before i let you go quick lightning round you ready
3: lightning is not my forte (laughs) but okay
1: (laughs) first grateful dead show uh sandstone
3: 91 uh june 25th
1: Favorite Grateful Dead show?
3: I don't know if there is a favorite. I mean, the favorite is... Uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll give you that my... I'll give the Ohio 85... An 85 show. Um, June 24th. But, of course, so many. That are,
1: right. You know. Studio recordings or live recordings?
3: I'm a big fan of live recordings. Of course, I'm a big fan of studio recordings. But, I mean, I, I appreciate... Are are we talking Grateful Dead? Are we talking any band? No, Grateful Dead. Okay. Um. uh, yeah. Live.
1: All right. Favorite album. Favorite Dead album.
3: Maybe without a net. It could also be Europe '72. Um, Could be also be Terrapin Station. Um, (laughs) One of those.
1: Okay, (laughs) then this one. If you got three answers for that one, you're gonna hate this one. Like every other guest. Favorite. Non Grateful Dead album. You're on a desert island. You get to take one with you.
3: Uh, well, I've been asked this one before. I'll give my stocking answer. Seconds out by Genesis. All right. Favorite color, which is a live album, by the way.
1: Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Everything's live. Almost everything you picked, except for terrapin Station.
3: Um, what? A uh, favorite color? Yeah, blue. First job. I think I know the
1: answer, but first job. Lion's Choice. Oh, really? It wasn't Streetside? No. Lion's Choice. Lion's yeah. Choice is a great roast beef joint here in St. Louis. I had it the other day. So good.
3: Yeah, Well, I, I still get Lion's Choice when I go to St. Louis. <laughs> but I thought it was Streetside. Thinking about opening a store here. Lion's Choice. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad <laughs> a idea.
1: Um, Dino worked for a long time here in town. He worked at Streetside Records, which was just the coolest, hippest record shop in town at the time.
3: Yeah, that was after I graduated college. That um, was when you came and, back, and, and I actually various. was at Streetside longer than I was in college. <laughs> wow! Which wow. I'm not proud about, but
1: it <laughs> <laughs> was a great but record it, store, though.
3: It, it did supply. It allowed me to have a flexible schedule where I could focus on music and play band around my band schedule,
1: and get so, the early line tickets for buying concerts. Uh, yeah, because you I, could I, buy I, tickets at Streetside.
3: Uh, favorite venue to play:
1: Red Rocks. Standard answer, yeah. Best city for a day off.
3: Uh, I've heard some of your guests' answers on this one too. That they like the ones where they're out in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing going on, um, which can be fun and which can be a good thing. You can get stuff done. I, uh, you know, uh, I like warm places in general, but um, big like San Francisco, New York as well, right? Um, I guess the best place for a day off, Jamaica.
1: <laughs> there you go okay. i like that answer some people lately have been saying i've had a two or three of said best place for his best city for a day off and they've been like home yeah yeah
3: of course first car oh whoops. uh let's see here. first car oh a ford tempo <laughs> ford, Tem- yeah, I don't ford Tempo. That. that's
1: way before my time
3: ugly um, ugly cars
1: you were in the little red pickup truck when i met you um current okay. car
3: uh, it is a, uh, Honda Odyssey, uh, van, van, cart the kids around me, you and Lebo, man,
1: <laughs> me, you and Lebo. Oh, Lebo, Lebo too. Yep. Lebo's driving one also, uh, do you know I have the exact same one, same year, same color, same everything.
3: <laughs> I do want to get into an electric car. So, do we.
1: uh, book you are reading right now.
3: Um, let's see here. It's a, it's a Beatles book. Uh, it's, uh, Okay, it's called uh, 150 Glimpses of the Beatles. Who wrote it? Uh, Craig Brown. It's I'm uh, familiar with that one. That's cool. Yeah, it's some kind of inside stories kind of thing. You know, um, the first time Brian Epstein saw the Beatles and what he was thinking and such. Those kind of things.
1: Well, finish it up because I have the Ted Templeman book for you on the bus. Oh, yeah. so I just I just finished that one.
3: I, I love biographies in general.
1: Me too me too well hey man i i can't uh, thank you i can't can't tell you how much i appreciate you taking the time and i actually did learn a few things that i did not know i thought we knew everything about each other spending so much time together for the last quarter century
3: well you know as 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 you probably know i'm kind of a quiet person so i don't uh discuss randomly just let the (laughs) uh, thoughts in the group that
1: we're in every group needs one or two of those so i thank you for that
3: (laughs) yeah but uh you know we do a, a lot of stuff just through uh osmosis or uh, yeah
1: yeah well i appreciate you sharing with everybody because i know that there's listeners out there that know, had no idea about a lot of this and, and the many facets of dino english so uh i appreciate it pal thank you so much and uh, i guess i'll see you again in a couple days
3: thanks for the opportunity i appreciate it man
1: so once again that is my bandmate and drumming partner Dino English thank you again for taking the time and hanging with me today pal
3: oh thanks man so much fun alright
1: we'll talk to you soon
3: that was a lot of fun
1: getting to just hang out and chat with Dino like that Uh, I learned something I hope you did as well so that will bring us to the end of yet another episode and I'd like to thank Dino and Andy Tishner one more time for being here I'd also like to thank my sponsors Grateful Sweats, The Clean Store, and Beth Kortz at yourclarity.coach. And of course, the Pantheon Podcast Network for bringing me into their family. You can check out their 70-plus music-related podcasts at www.pantheonpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week or you can show your love with a one-time contribution, and please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. As I mentioned before, the opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner and today's guest, Dino English. Hopefully that album is going to be out real soon, and I will be sure to let you all know. I'll be back in two weeks with episode number 31. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. The good side of this thing is getting closer, but it's still going to take all of our efforts to get there. Thanks for being there.